1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Before I read verse 19 uh, through 22, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon our uh, preaching of God's Word this morning. Uh, Father, we come to Your most marvelous and precious Word. A Word that is precious to those who are saved and who believe. A Word that is a light Not only unto our paths, but a light, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we pray this morning that we would hear and listen, not just with our outward ears, but with our hearts. And that our lives would be the recipient, Lord, of its truth. And we would put into practice what what we understand. What we believe to be true, O Lord, that our consciences would be shaped by this word and our, well, our lives would be formed by it. So, Lord, we ask that you would come now and bless us, your people, with the truth of your word. Lord, if there be any here this morning that have not been turned to you, Lord, are still bearing stony and hard hearts, we pray, O Lord, that you would come. And take that heart of stone away and put in its place a heart of flesh. Lord, give faith to those who need it. and Give encouragement to those who need it. Give aid, O Lord, to your sons and to your daughters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beloved, stand with me. And let, us, and let me read these few verses in your hearing, starting at verse 19. Well, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. And beloved, we continue to work our way through this epistle. We are continuing to examine a church that Paul took great delight in. It pleased him to consider how this church was formed, how it had begun in the power of the gospel, receiving the preaching of God's Word. Not just receiving it, but devouring it and causing, uh, letting that word have its way with them and they really began to bear the fruit of the gospel immediately and, and was having an impact upon the, 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 the city that they were in and the surrounding region. And they were in the midst of persecution. It wasn't an easy thing for them to listen to the apostles. It wasn't something that was uh, not challenged. It was challenged greatly. Paul's antagonizers had followed him there. And they did their best to discourage the recipient of receiving Paul's message and receiving Paul. They did their best to discourage anyone from listening to the, the gospel of the Apostle Paul. They did everything they could to discourage a, a following through with that belief 
and faith and how that faith would impact their daily living. They did everything they could to discourage this church and yet they were continuing to thrive and to grow and uh, to, to bear a lot of fruit in Christ. But they weren't a perfect church. And there is no perfect church on this side of glory. Paul gives in the text that I read this morning three negative injunctions and I believe that these negative injunctions were due or were the reason Paul gives these negative injunctions is because they were beginning to be guilty of these things. Notice what Paul says in verse 19. Do not quench the Spirit. That's the first one. Look at the second one. Do not despise prophetic utterances. That's the second one. The way this is structured in the original language leads us to believe that this was something that they had started doing. They had started quenching the Holy Spirit. They had started setting aside prophetic utterances. Being indifferent to them. And then the third one, found in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. And they were beginning to practice their own version, if you will, of Christianity, or at least entertaining it. And Paul was discouraging this. Paul was letting them know that they are to abstain from the form of evil. And we're going to look at that. We're going to unpack that as we go along. There are two positive injunctions. At least these are the things that Paul tells them to put their hands to and keep their hands to. Number one, he says test. Test or prove. Notice how he says this in verse 21. But examine everything carefully. That's the first positive injunction. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances. Abstain from every form of evil. But yet do these things. You need to test everything. Examine everything carefully. Prove it. Make sure it's from the Lord. Make sure it's biblical. Make sure it's right. Notice the second aspect of this. Hold fast to it. Hold fast to it. Test it, prove it, make sure that it's good. And when it's been proven, guess what? Hold fast to it. Don't let it go. This is something that ought to be done on a regular basis, habitually. Brothers and sisters, you might need, or it might be helpful to understand that what we see in Scripture is this idea that as Christians we are going somewhere. Now, I've spoken of this earlier in the book as sort of a, a motif, right? We are being carried along. We have been saved from something, from darkness, from sin. We've been saved from the grasp of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And we've been brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of the blessed God. We've been saved from sin, uh, from sin to righteousness. 
From the darkness to light, from sin to righteousness, from Satan to God. We're going somewhere. We are in the process of being moved along in our salvation. That means there is a flow, an ebb and flow of every true Christian church. Every church body is going somewhere. The Spirit is carrying us as a body, as a whole, unto that blessed goal, which is the maturity in Christ. Let's look at a passage of Scripture because I want to etch this in your thinking. Ephesians 4. I want this to be inscribed on your heart, on your mind. I want you to know that this is the goal, the destination, the place where everyone here who believes in the name of Christ, this is where you're going. This is where you're going. And it's important to know this because how else are you going to know if you're quenching the Spirit? If this is, the, the, if this is the, the flow, the work of the Spirit, if this is what the Spirit of God is doing in you and in this body and in every church body, well, then we need to know this so that we don't, well, quench that. Look at Ephesians 4 and just look at verse 15. Not, gonna, not going to read the whole text. You can do that later. But he's talking about the ministry of the church and the, these gifts of pastors and prophets and teachers. But this is the purpose of it. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What's Paul teaching us here? That the role of the Holy Spirit is bringing the, the, the power, the saving influence and power of the Holy Spirit is working in all of God's people, growing us all up into Christ so that we more and more progressively look like Jesus. What do we mean by looking like Jesus? What we mean character-wise. Character-wise. In character. Being, Being like Christ. Loving the Father the way Jesus loved the Father. Loving the truth the way Jesus loved the truth. Loving people the way Jesus loved people. Kind, compassion. Having His outlook. Having His disposition. Having His understanding of the kingdom of God. That we would conform ourselves. Or even not only actively pursuing that and praying for that. But also submitting ourselves to it because that's the goal of the Holy Spirit. That is, this is what the Spirit is doing in us. It's called sanctification. We are in the process of being sanctified. We are in the process of being more and more conformed to Christ.
And this is the truth that every church needs to understand. This is the goal of the church. This, this is the goal of the mind of God in this body. That He not only conform us to Christ, but what is, how is He doing it? How is He doing it? He's doing it by impressing upon us and in us the very Word of God. He's taking the Word. He's writing it on our hearts. He's filling us up with it. He's causing our minds to be saturated with it. He's calling us to meditate on it, to dwell on it, to think on it. He's calling, causing us to ponder it. How does He do that? How does He bring about a passage, a verse, a sermon in your life? Oftentimes by using circumstances. Oftentimes, by putting us in situations and circumstances that we begin to think about who we are, about our confession, about who we confess to be. You know, we all made professions of faith in joining this church. We all confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He's our Savior. He saved us from ourselves, from Satan, from sin, from death. But He's also our Lord. He's our Master, our Boss. He tells us what to do. And because His Spirit lives in us, we don't do it begrudgingly. We do it delightfully. He doesn't twist our arms. We are filled with the goodness and joy and love of God. We just looked at three of those positive spiritual injunctions that we ought to be doing on a regular basis. Rejoicing. Praying. Giving thanks. Now you sort of see the context of that, right? We find ourselves today consumed with materialism. We find ourselves consumed with this idea that it's just this this isolation of me and Jesus. And what I mean by that, yes, yes, make no mistake about it. It's you and Jesus. But it's you and Jesus in the church. It's you and Jesus in the body. It's you and Christ and the whole of God's people working and being fashioned and being fitted. That's what the whole text, that's the sanctification. That's the role, that's the ministry, that's what he's doing. But we have such an, an American mindset of Christianity that I don't think it's biblical and I don't think it's Christianity. It seems we have a serious problem of making light of standing in judgment of the Holy Spirit's work. Standing in how do we how do we how do we make Light of the Holy Spirit. How do we quench Him? Complaining against His providence. That's how you quench the Holy Spirit. You complain against the sovereign 
the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit by putting you in situations where He would influence you and impress upon you His power and the Word to grow you up in Christ. Because He knows exactly what each and every one of us need perfectly. When we don't like something and we dismiss it because we don't prefer it, we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we're not on board with the goals of the Holy Spirit, shaping and fashioning the whole body to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, being independent, being opinionated, that has nothing to do with the role, the ministry, and the goals of the Spirit, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're quenching the Holy Spirit. So these circumstances are important because these circumstances puts us in in a situation to take the Word of God and think about it in a very particular, precise way. That's what we see the psalmist doing. That's what we see the psalmist doing. That's why we have so many different kinds of psalms where different kinds of, of, of griefs, different kinds of joys and the various kinds of hardships being faced by the covenant people of God and how those things rise up into God's ears in praise and prayer for help, for relief. See, if we don't like something here in America, we just go on somewhere else and find that place. Dismissing what God is actually trying to do in our hearts, in our lives, shaping our marriages, shaping our families, shaping our character. See, we have forgotten, even as, as reformed Christians, that there is a sovereignty that we love to talk about, but we don't talk fully about. The whole aspect of God using those times in our lives to train us to depend upon Him more. How many of you, when you, when you ran into a snag in school... You just walked out. Well, I don't like that test. I don't like being, I, I, I don't want to be challenged. Well, you had to be challenged, right? And at every grade level, at every level or degree of maturity and responsibility, you had to be stretched. You had to be pressed. You had to be pushed. How many of you ran in there and said, oh, just do whatever. Give me as many exams as you want, teacher. I love all of it. Well, I didn't do it. And I bet you didn't either. But you couldn't get up and walk away because you knew you needed to finish it. And yet that's exactly what we do many times in the Christian life. We don't see these opportunities. We don't see that as the Lord sort of withdraws that, that delight And that joy leaving us in a season of pondering His power. Pondering His glory. Wanting us to be trained in patience. 
Wanting us to be trained in how to wait upon the Lord. Praying and seeking His face. Oh, we want it right now. We're the microwave generation. We want that instant popcorn, that theology of popcorn. Because, well, we demand it. But God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. We want to conform. We've got to be careful we don't conform God to our image because we need to understand He's conforming us to His image. Let's look at the person of the Holy Spirit as we get launched into this um, trying understanding these verses. Who is the Holy Spirit and why is it important that we do not quench Him? Well, first of all, John, the Baptist, told his hearers, he said, You know, I baptize you with a baptism of repentance. But there is one coming after me who will baptize you with fire. Who will baptize you with fire. The Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit in Scripture, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit, one of the metaphors of the Holy Spirit to help us understand Him, because that's all it is, it's language to help us comprehend He who is incomprehensible. So that we might know Him. So that we might look to know Him even more is fire. Fire. What does fire do? Fire enlightens the mind. He's the, the Holy Spirit. He comes, being, he comes with fire. We see in Acts 2, what is it? He's the, the fire, the clothing tongues of fire. Falling upon the disciples in the upper room. And they speaking in the languages of the people around them. And they hearing the gospel in their own language. He enlightens the mind, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit is a fire that burns away sin in our hearts. He purifies our lives. Fire purifies. Fire burns away that which is no good. That which is dead. So that that which is good can come forth and bear a lot of fruit. He's an, he enlightens our minds. He purifies our lives, brothers, and He makes, He enlightens our paths. He's a light. And He, he lights, he, he, light up, he lights up the way that we need to go. We see several things here, and I'm going to mention them quickly. That's why Paul uses this terminology, don't quench the Spirit. What does he mean by quench? He means, well, don't put it out. Don't put out what the Holy Spirit has started. The Holy Spirit had, had begun a great work in Thessalonica. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in all of His churches. And what this injunction is saying is, listen, don't you put out the influence of the Holy Spirit in your midst. Not just in your life, but in the lives of those around you. Don't be guilty of extinguishing, dampening, and throwing water upon the work of the Holy Spirit. See, we can do that ourselves. You, can, you and I can dampen the, the influence of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And we can also dampen 
the Spirit in the lives of others. Paul wants us to be careful. But why so? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not a simple influence. He's not some energy. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He is a personality. He has a name. Holy Spirit. And He's given other names. He's called the Comforter. He's called the Power of God. He is called the Spirit of Christ. And He is God. He is God, therefore, He is of the same essence and perfections as God the Father and God the Son. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of adoration. He is worthy of of submission. You see, what Paul is saying here is do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the work of God in the church. He's the promise of the covenant of grace. Brothers and sisters, when you think about the energy you have, the desires, the influences, when you think about, oh, the excitement I have to follow after Jesus, to worship, to study, to read, to meditate, to memorize, to participate in worship, to participate in the means of grace. When you think about all of that, where does it come from but the influence and the work of the Holy Spirit in you? He's the promise of the covenant of grace. Proverbs 1 verse 23. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you and I will make known to you my words. You see, beloved, we understand it's a salvation by grace and grace alone. All the knowledge you possess here this morning, it's not because you're smart. It's not even because you spend hour upon hour upon hour studying and reading God's Word, which is a very good thing to do. But it's because the Spirit is favoring you and working in you and causing you to understand it is by grace. He unites us to Christ. He's the Spirit of union that brings us into union with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17 says that we are strengthened with the might by the Spirit in our inner man that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. It's the Spirit of God that's conforming us into that image of Christ, that's causing Christ to be formed in us. What happens when you quench that? He applies the Lord Jesus to us. He he applies Christ and all the benefits and all of those um, all of those gifts that we desire in Scripture. Who applies them? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 15. Titus 3, 5 and 6. He makes the gospel effectual. You know, when you listen to the gospel, what was it at that moment when you heard the gospel and it penetrated your heart, it penetrated your mind, and you thought, I don't know, there is something different, there is something powerful, there is something enlightening, there is something convicting about this. I can't put my hand on it. I don't know what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. 
You've heard the gospel so many times before, young people. Children. And it's just been words coming out of Pastor Stanfield's mouth. You don't even remember, you don't care, but there was a time when all of a sudden that word penetrated your heart, it penetrated your mind, and it caused you to sit up and go, wait a minute, what did he just say? Why is Jesus more beautiful today than he's ever been? Why is this worship more meaningful today than it has been before? Why are the means of grace more important to me now than they've ever been in my life? Why why do I want to read the Word of God? Why do I want to pray? Because the Spirit is making Christ effectual to you and me. I know we have this mindset and there is a responsibility, no doubt. There is a responsibility that Paul is teaching us in the Scriptures. But brothers and sisters, most of us probably think about hardships or we think about things in this way. I just need to do better. Have you ever thought about that? I just got to do more. The only thing that's going to solve my coldness and indifference is to do more. Really? You think that? I just... It's by grace. It comes in repentance. It comes in submission. It comes in giving yourself over. It comes in humility. Brothers and sisters, the light, the divine light shining in your heart in the Holy Spirit comes when we do what? Die to ourselves and to our own strength and our own power. What do you have to offer God? How can you help Him save you when you couldn't even save yourself to begin with? We must learn what Paul is saying here. Oh, you can put it this way. Submit yourself to the work of the Spirit. Because when you're not submitting yourself to the Spirit, you're quenching Him. He's the one that works in us faith. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. He works in us the faith that we exercise. He is the gift, beloved, of adoption. The Spirit working in us. Galatians 4 verse 6. It's the Spirit of Christ in us that causes us to do what? Cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit works in us to to cry out to God, Daddy. Guess what? That's a, that, that's, that's a phrase of dependence, isn't it? That's a phrase of dependence. That's a phrase that we come... That is the Holy Spirit's impressing upon us what? I don't have any strength to help myself, to save myself, to sanctify myself, to justify myself. I don't have the strength to conform myself to the image of Christ. I must cry out to God, Daddy, help me. And He gives us the Spirit to work those desires in us so that we die to self and live unto Him. He is our sanctifier. 
He's the one that comes and brings into our life this progression of sanctification where we more and more as we die to self and grow in righteousness spirit working in us. He's the dispenser of all of God's saving graces. He's our helper. He's the, he comes to help us when we pray. Romans 8. I want you to think about something. The Spirit is working on you so that you cry out to God in a way that is personal and real in your life. The Spirit's working in you. And He witnesses to you. And you know what He witnesses to you when you pray? You are a child of God. You are a daughter. You are a son. He's witnessing to your spirit, yes, as a son, as a daughter. Cry out to your Father who is listening. Because without that constant witness in us, we would be all over the place. One day we would be good, the next day not so good. One day good, the next day not so good. You ever live like that? All over the place? What brings consistency into your life? Holy Spirit. But we need to know Him, don't we? We need to know these things, right? We need to know the things that I'm talking about this morning because we need to understand how, how what a grief it is to quench Him. Right? We need to know God. You know, um, that's why we started our study on Sunday evenings on the perfections of God that we would know Him and learn of Him and, and grow deeper in our convictions and affections for Him. He is the source of our good works. John 15 verse 4 says that we can do nothing apart from Him. And I know we love, listen, everyone here, everyone here, everyone here, we all have a tendency to think better of ourselves than we ought. We do. That's the old man. That's the natural man. That's the sinful side of us. When in reality, there is nothing good. If we're going to agree with Scripture, if we're going to agree with the mind of the Holy Spirit, if we're going to agree with what the Holy Spirit says about us, we go to Romans chapter 3, and it says there is no, no one good, no, not one. Do you believe that? Do you believe what the Spirit says about yourself? What it says about me? What it says about us? The Spirit is the one that works in us so that we do good works. And we, and we ought to give Him praise, right? For working in us those good works. He is the seal of our salvation. What does that mean? 1 John 3 and verse 9. Well, He's the one that keeps us from falling away. You, you see, beloved, okay, you may have the mindset, okay, yes, God is sovereign, He saved me. But I keep myself saved. God saved me, he give, He's given me the Spirit, I've got the Word of God now, I've gotten me a church, and now it's just really up to me. No. Because not only does the Holy Spirit influence you and save you and bring you along in the means of grace and cause those, your participation in the means of grace to be effectual and meaningful and useful, 
He holds on to you when you enter into those dark times. How many of you, how many of you are still riding a mountaintop high? Huh? How many, how many low experiences have you had as a Christian? How many times have you questioned your salvation? How many times have you questioned your love for God? How many times have you questioned your desire for the Word of God? How many times have you really didn't want anything to do with worship? I mean, it really wasn't that meaningful to you. It's the Holy Spirit that brought you along and held on to you so that you didn't fully give up your faith. He's the one that held on to you. And to me, when we begin to entertain all of that unbelief. Let's look at this passage of Scripture under really two headings. Number one, I think Paul here is helping us understand that faithfulness has, faithfulness has two expressions. Faithfulness has Two expressions. Faithfulness is seen by the things we don't do and by the things we do. Now you say, well, uh, duh. But no, really we need to think about that because, right, we, we, we've got this, this mindset that, well, faithfulness is only defined by the things I do. But you got to understand something. We must not only be active and proactive in some activities, but we must absolutely abstain and be against other activities. You follow me? And this is important, particularly as Paul wants us to understand the importance of each and every one of us in role, our role in the local body, in the church. Now, we're not going to have time to go through all of this this morning. But let me just mention a few of these things. First of all, we might, you know, head everything off by saying, listen, sin, all sin quenches the Spirit. It's very true. No doubt. But it's not just simply general, beloved. It's the idea that there is a movement, there is a flow, there is an organic structure in the body of Christ. It's not just a, it's not a club. It's not a club. It's not just a, a, a place where we go pay some dues every week called tithes and, you know, have a membership. It's a living organism. It has an organic feature to it and it's growing, it's moving, and it's coming along. And we have a role and responsibility in that movement of the Holy Spirit. And when we cease that, when we stop that, we are quenching the Spirit. When we complain, when we resist, when we discourage others, when we refuse to obey. Let me, let me give you an example. Let me show you an example of this. Turn in your Bibles, um, Acts. Let me find it. Look at Acts 21. Acts 
And now Paul is on his way. He's got an entourage of, of, of people with him. And he's on the way to Jerusalem. And he's going to drop off a love offering in Jerusalem because of the saints in Jerusalem were suffering. Um, they were being persecuted for being Christians. And the Gentile churches, Paul had collected an offering in the Gentile churches. And he was on the way to Jerusalem to give them this love offering. Now listen, uh, look at verse 21. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, um, chapter 21. And uh, let me find where... Let me find it here. Where Paul goes... Okay. Look down here at verse 10. Well, let's back up to verse 8. On the next day, verse 20, chapter 21, verse 8. On the next day we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And they were staying there for some days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him unto the hands of the Gentiles. And when they heard this, we as well as all the local residents began begging him, that is Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Now this is a great example of grieving the Holy Spirit. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's going to Jerusalem, and he has this, this group with him. Agabus, who is a prophet, comes down. He takes Paul's belt. He ties his hands, and he binds his feet. And, this, of course, you read the prophecy there. He says the man that owns this belt is going to be handed over by the Jews to the Gentiles. They hear this prophecy. They hear it. What, do the, what does Paul's friends say about the prophecy, the utterances of the Holy Spirit by this prophet? You can't go, Paul. You can't go. You need to not obey that prophecy. And what does Paul do? Okay, you're right. We don't want to suffer as Christians. Oh, you're right. We need to take the easy way out. Now, what does Paul do? Paul submits. I want you to see the picture here. What does Paul do? What, what a picture. He's going to be bound. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Paul says, you're breaking my heart. You're grieving me. And you're quenching the Holy Spirit. Because this is what I'm called to do. I'm called to bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus in any and every circumstance I'm in. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
Now, brothers and sisters, I think we can maybe... Here's the thought. Is it your honor that matters? Or is it Christ's honor? Your life... Is your life more important than God's glory? Is your ease and comfort, my comfort, better than suffering for the name of Christ? Is it better to live an easy life, a comfortable life, than to suffer for the great name of God? You see, that's the question, isn't it? Who will have their way in church? People that can rise up and want it a certain way? Are we going to submit? What does it mean when we talk about the Holy Spirit? Turn back. Let me show you how these phrases work together. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Now, I've just shown you these utterances were the will of God. Paul says, don't despise them. Don't set them apart. Don't don't treat them indifferently. A prophet had two roles in the church, in the New Testament. He could foretell, like Agabus, let me tell you what's going to happen. And he he could foretell. He could speak about the events to come, or he could speak about Christian living, preaching. This is how you need to live. This is the will of God. And look how Paul has done that in the epistle. Abstain from fornication. Don't be loafers. Don't be lazy people. Don't be busybodies. Praise God. Rejoice. Give thanks to Him. Love your elders. Love one another. I mean, he goes through all of these roles and responsibilities, does he not? But notice the the connection. And Calvin, I think, hits the nail on the head. He says, what is it to quench the Holy Spirit? He says, when we begin to despise, set apart, act or treat indifferently the revealed will of God Almighty. How many times have you heard in a message, a sermon, a commandment you needed to keep? And you forgot it. Forgetfulness is quenching the Holy Spirit. Coldness is quenching the Holy Spirit. Indifference is quenching the Holy Spirit. See, Calvin says, though they are independent statements, they are related. The Holy Spirit brings to bear the revealed will of God to us in the written word, but also in how that word penetrates our hearts and our lives. And when we despise those prophetic utterances, we are guilty of quenching the work and the role and the fire of the Holy Spirit, not just ourselves individually, but also in the body. We don't have time to go into testing everything and abstaining from every form of evil. But brothers and sisters, listen to me. Think about the ways we have all quenched the Spirit. Let us repent of it. Let us learn submission 
But let us learn submission joyfully. Let us learn to acknowledge I'm in a season where I'm waiting upon the Lord to move upon me and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to wait and I'm going to keep doing the things I need to do so that, well, then they come so naturally and so with, with the Christian life. Sometimes it's great effort, isn't it? Sometimes it's hardly any effort at all because you love it so much. You can't wait to do what God's called you to do. Brothers and sisters, in any any way that you quench the Spirit, confess it. Repent of it. And submit to the Word of God. Don't be guilty of despising the revealed will of God Almighty. Let's pray. Father, do bless us now to take what we have heard and to heed it, to listen, listen to it carefully. Lord, don't let our own weaknesses hinder us from following its commandments. Come and make us strong in Christ. Come and make us strong in spirit that we might glory in, relish, and thrive and grow in our submission of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, forgive us in any and every way we have grieved and Lord, quenched His work. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let's take our songbook.